Good morning, Hillside. It's Pastor Eric with you for our uh, Friday morning devotion. Uh, and today we're going to look uh, at the epistle text for this weekend's uh, service. As uh, I think you all know, we're in not just, it wasn't just Easter last Sunday, but we're in the season of Easter. And so all the texts that, uh, that are chosen for the next number of weeks until we get to the celebration of Pentecost in the church calendar are really Easter-themed. Uh, now, there's a sense in which the entire Bible is Easter-themed, right? Good Friday and Easter-themed. I mean, the, the entire story of the Bible has been sort of looking forward to that in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, looking back at that event. Um, and yet there are specific texts like we're going to look at today in 1 Peter that are very much connected to everything around Easter and the fruits that come from that. And so um, so we're going to look at that together. I want to give uh, folks just a chance to, um, to gather with us here. I know that um, I said that we'd be gathered at 9. It's 9-ish, you know, 9-ish uh, right now. So I want to give people a chance to, to gather with us before I get going here. But... Um, Good morning, Nancy. Uh, good to see you on here. <laughs> um, let's see here. I'm just going to pull up the text on the old computer. Let's see. Uh, it's there. I know it's there. Oh, I don't know what's happening there. My computer's being funny. Seems like it looks like we got four of you now. Um, let me just... Pull this up. All right. And I'm going to go ahead and... All right. We'll go ahead and leave that be for now. Okay, so we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, for my money, one of the most encouraging passages in the entire New Testament, for that matter, in the entire New Bible, or, or in the entire, not New Bible, in the entire Bible. Uh, 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 9, it reads like this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, in order to understand what we're going to read right now, you don't need to know much about those people except to know that Peter is writing to people that are facing persecution, and so he refers to them as the dispersion. That's really all you need to know. He says, to those who are elect exiles... Verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice though now for a little while if necessary you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. 
We'll go ahead and stop there and just briefly go over the passage. So first of all, you talk about a hope-filled passage. Look at the first number of verses and what Peter declares about these people that he's writing to, and for that matter, the church today, you and I. He calls them elect. He calls them uh, sanctified. He says that they've been sprinkled with the blood of Christ. He says that they have been born again. He says that they have an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading for them. Notice in this passage, who's doing the verbs? It's all God. God does the electing. God does the foreknowledge choosing. God does the sanctifying by the Spirit. Jesus Christ does the sprinkling by his blood. Notice it says God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. It wasn't something that we did. It wasn't something that we chose. It was something that he did. Who gets all the glory for everything? God does. And what is waiting for us? An inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Kept in heaven for you. Now, why is that such incredibly good news? Well, because everything you try and keep here, as Jesus points out, moth and rust destroy. It's just true. There's nothing that isn't imperishable or undefiled or unfading in this life. Everything we have is prone to sort of entropy, falling apart and decay. As we know all too well right now, even our bodies, everything is prone to this. But there is something that is not, and that is the salvation of your souls, Peter says. Peter says this gift of God, this salvation, this uh, new birth is a guaranteed promise because it's not kept here. It is kept in heaven for you. And listen to this word. Listen to verse 5. You, by God's power, in case you were still like a little insecure that like this somehow could be lost or something, or, you know, like maybe it could perish, maybe it could get defiled, maybe it could fade away. Listen to what he goes on to say in verse 5. You, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Who's doing the guarding? God is doing the guarding. I mean, you can't get more secure than that, folks. If, I mean, if it, if it said you are guarding your salvation by what you do or by how you behave or by this, that, or the other thing, then we'd have reason for insecurity and worry. But Peter doesn't want to put any of it on us, not a single bit. So Peter says, know that your salvation, this great, this great place where there will be no more decay, it's being guarded for you by God. And folks, if God is guarding something, it, no one slips by. I mean, nothing, nothing, nothing gets past that. He's got really strong hands. He's got all powerful hands, all knowing hands. He knows what he's doing and he is protecting this salvation that awaits us in the heavenly realm. And so Peter moves on in verse 6. He says, in this you rejoice. You bet we do. I, I'm, I'm do. I do. I rejoice greatly that my salvation ultimately doesn't hinge on me, but on God's protection of it. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. 
So there's the paradox from the very beginning. Peter wants us to look ahead, to place our hope on what's coming, this imperishable place where bodies don't break down and things don't rust and decay. He wants us to pin our hope on there. He wants us to know that that is being guarded for us by God, that we can absolutely be certain of it. And yet he also recognizes throughout the passage that this is not what reality often feels like for us here in this life. The truth is, we do go through trials. The church has always gone through trials. It's an interesting juxtaposition of language at the beginning. Notice what he referred to them as. On the one hand, he says to the church, you are elect. On the other hand, he says, you are exiles. Did you catch that? That's the paradox. That's the tension that we live in. We're elect. We're going to heaven. Everything's going to be made new. And yet, the experience of life here so often feels like we're never quite home, that we're in exile. And that's what these Christians in the early days were dealing with at their time. They were being grieved by different kinds of trials than we are now. The trials that we're going through now have more to do um, you know, with this virus and what could come economically as a result of the lockdown. And these are all the questions that are being debated right now. And you know, there, there is a sense in which there is a trial to this. The trials that these guys were going through was actual persecution, being driven from their homes and arrested and, and at some points uh, killed and tortured for their faith. But nonetheless, the, the trials are trials, and it, it doesn't matter uh, to what degree. They're all uh, part of the Christian's life as we live this elect exile life, this, this tension. And so what does he say the purpose of these trials are? Because we're prone to question when it gets hard, when, the, when it gets really hot, God, are you still guarding this salvation for me? Are you, are you still working in this? And so this is what he says, verse 7. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What is Peter acknowledging here about our trials and about the difficulties that we face as elect exiles in life? What he is saying God is doing, even through the challenges and the difficulties and the hardships, is he is saying that he is refining us, that he is refining our faith. Now, I don't know about you, if you've been through a real hard time in your life, but I know many people who I've spoken to, you know, privately, pastoral conversations, who have gone through immensely difficult times, that somehow when they look back on it, will say, as hard as it was, and as much as I wouldn't wish what I went through on my worst enemy, I have to say, I never felt closer to God than during those times. I have to say, when I look back at it, God did some of his finest work in my life when I was really facing the fire. When you're in it, most of the time it doesn't feel like it, and it's hard, it's really hard to get that perspective. But so often when people have gone through the trial, they look back, they say, God was doing some of his best work in me during that time. And as much as I don't long for it, as much as I don't want that, and I don't, we're not like, we're not gluttons for punishment here. You know, we're, we're, we're not masochists. We're not trying to find pain as Christians. 
But there is a sense in which Peter is saying here, even when you're going through that, don't, don't think that that means God isn't still guarding you for this imperative.